It's amazing what you can do with technology now, you know? Yeah. And yeah, uh, here we go. All right. Welcome, everyone. Charles Moskowitz, Monday through Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I want to thank the good people over at TECN TV, the exceptional conservative network, which is now carrying the show live, and their owner, Ken McClanton, great conservative out of Washington, D.C. If you want to chat, you can do so at rumble.com slash Moskowitz. And we actually take calls here, 617-396-4958. My guest is Captain Seth Keschel. Captain Keschel has been, uh, he's a former Naval Intelligence Officer. Army. You, Army, thank you, sir. You, and thank you for your service. And you have been on the issue of the great election steal. Since election day, I have followed you. You have an extraordinary breadth of knowledge with a particular orientation towards statistical analysis, which is very important. You have traveled the country. You have spoken on the issue. You like to have fun, I noticed. You do some recordings. You know, so you bring some a real energy to this issue at a time when those of us who are critical of the election have been vilified often, and it's not always easy. It's kind of a lonely trog occasionally. So I thank you, Seth, for what you've done, first of all. So you're welcome. You're welcome, Charles. I uh, I appreciate the invite to the show. We've been trying to connect for for quite some time. Indeed. So um, let's go right to it here. I mean, we all, the whole country knows, I think, and, and polls indicate that most people know that the election of 2020 was stolen. Um, 60% Republicans polled even recently still believe that and still understand that. And I don't know if there's polling on Democrats, but I'm pretty sure it's probably 20 to 30% and a large number of independents. The way polling works oftentimes as well, people might be afraid or intimidated to speak the truth when asked because when you have the FBI kicking down people's doors, you don't necessarily want to mention that you believe this because you might end up on the wrong end of that uh, of that kick on a door. So, you know, I, I, suffice to say that everyone knows damn well what happened in 2020. And I think that you are bringing a lot of data to this and science to it that further reinforces what happened. So let's just talk for, for, for starters about your methods of analyzing the election state by state, county by county. All right. So there's 3,143 counties or county equivalents in independent cities in the United States that contribute votes in our presidential elections and also in, in statewide elections in those states. And of course, they are going to have a finite number of votes, which maxes out clearly at the number of registered voters, which we'll get into is a serious problem. Now, some of these counties, including in the key states that are key for the Electoral College with any Donald Trump run for the presidency and really any Republican run now that the map is shifting around, you have states like Pennsylvania and Michigan, Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin, Indiana, all across the, the Midwest, the Rust Belt. And those a lot of those counties are stagnant in population. So they're, they're fixed. The population hasn't changed much or it's declining. And in counties like that, Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania is my favorite example. When you have what's called a coalition shift, people that vote this way that then start voting the other way, when the population is dropping because jobs are leaving, then what that means is one party's stack of votes continues to go down. You can look at Westmoreland County for, for three decades, declining vote totals election after election after election. And what you have there is a record Trump performance in 2020. And at the same time, a record Biden performance as well, shaving Trump's margins by about, it looks like 18,000 plus votes in my estimates in a state decided by 80,000. So it takes into account population change, whether that's a, a, a surging stream of new population or whether that's a trickle or whether that's a decrease. Then we have the party registration where it's available in 32 states. You can see in the counties which way the trends in the elections should be going. And if you don't believe in that, you can take any state 
that has party registration and put down the registration trend between presidential elections and whichever party made the advantage is the party that benefited in the next election. Whether that was a tighter loss or an expanded margin of victory or a flip of the state, you can see that coming with party registration. So in a state like Massachusetts, I can see coming that the state's going to become more Democrat with an expanding Democrat registration. In right. a state like Pennsylvania, when twenty when it was a twenty-one to one ratio of registered Republicans to Democrats in Trump's term, that is signaling very strongly that Trump is not only going to win Pennsylvania again, he's going to win it by a wide margin. My number yeah. for Pennsylvania is six point four percent. Okay, so let's just focus on Pennsylvania because it's one of the most egregious examples of what happened. I think it was public knowledge before the election that Republican registration was way up in that state. That was in the news. I recall reading about it. Uh, we also had a situation where the state legislature was being undermined by a very corrupt attorney, uh, attorney general and secretary of state, mainly installed due to financing from George Soros, who were switching and changing the laws against the U.S. Constitution, Article 2 which says that only the state legislature holds the plenary power to make election laws. And they challenged that, and the, the challenge was thrown out by a corrupt state judiciary. Eventually, it made its way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ignored it after the election. So, you know, the, the issue of the corruption of our judiciary is a separate question, but the point I'm making here is that Pennsylvania, you know, like several other states, and, and I know this This is a oh, such a complex issue. There's so many moving parts. But on election night, it was one of the states that simultaneously shut down and stopped counting. And at that time, Trump was ahead by almost three quarters of a million votes, right? Then they reopened the next day, and they start recounting and recounting and recounting until a week later, they suddenly find enough votes so that the media, the mainstream mockingbird media, could declare Biden the winner. And that was how he won. Now, I mean, what, what do we do to counter that? Because that kind of corruption is so pervasive and so ingrained there now that I don't see how there's ever going to be another free election in that state, given those circumstances. Pennsylvania has gotten much worse since mm -hmm. the 2020 election. This has been a stealth play ever since Trump won the states in 2016. So you have the Trump flip of PA, Michigan, Wisconsin, and a near flip of Minnesota in 2016. Minnesota was right. on the same trend as the rest of the states and should have been a Trump state in 2020. So when we look at the data on those states, you can see in 2018 that this the 2018 midterm is when the Trump level election manipulation actually began. But because Donald Trump wasn't removed from office, most people didn't notice, especially since the end result, which was a flip of the House. And hey, there's actually a split decision here. We got more Senate seats. Most people didn't notice the massive turnout. My number suggests that there's 12 to 21 million more votes cast than are feasibly possible based on historic turnout figures since 1974. So that's the 2018 midterm. And that in, that midterm was instrumental in Pennsylvania for reelecting Tom Wolf and making sure that Pennsylvania had statewide Democrat leadership in place for 2020 because they had it in place for 2016. But in 2020, they needed it because Pennsylvania looks like it had a rightward lurch in the 2018 midterms as well. Mm -hmm. And then you see in Michigan, 2018 was important for getting Nestle, Whitmer and Benson in office there in, in, in Michigan. Right. All three of them were swept in in 2018. John James also lost his Senate seat in 2018, and that was when he ran against when he ran against uh, Debbie Stabenow. He mm. probably should have won that race as well, but instead the result was they got their beachhead in there to prevent Trump from carrying Michigan in 2020. And in Wisconsin, you have Evers, who snatched the governor's seat away from Scott Walker in 2018. That was with the Milwaukee dump of votes late in the night and put it just over the recount threshold. Walker conceded the race. So that is the origins of this they got their people in place and then and of course minnesota did the same and they made sure and arizona did the same you have katie hobbs was put in in 2018 after the race was called for steve gainer who ran against her for secretary of state and they counted in maricopa county for days it's when they got kristen cinema in the in the senate and you you've seen it all throughout the the state brad raffensperger went into georgia in 2018 
And we have this, this nexus of politicians that were put in place in 2018 or before to ensure that Trump wasn't able to get reelected in those key states, because those six states are what I call the contested states, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. I have all six going to Trump easily. The closest, right. state, the closest state of those six is Pennsylvania at 6.4%. None of those states belong in the actual top 10 of the 2020 election. I also have uh, Minnesota as a Trump state, and I have a number of states that you would never think of in a million years that are within six points that are perpetually blue states. Right. I mean, if that is, that would be if we actually had an honest election. Correct. So you had the, um, the Soros's project of, of installing secretaries of states, attorneys, generals, and corrupt district attorneys that, because he understood that that's where the power lay. That's where you could have people manipulating the law in such a way that would benefit them. And, uh, you know, you, you've mentioned several of those, situations. I mean, Jocelyn Benson in, in Michigan, along with the other two witches, she, um, you know, she changed the laws regarding uh, signatures on uh, absentee ballots. That was overturned, her law, six months later. Of course, it was too late by then. And then just before this recent election, after a citizens group brought evidence that there were 200,000 ballots that no longer resided in the state, they were from people who had either died or had moved out of state, and that they demanded that she remove those ballots, and they had all the names. She just ignored that as well. So we're talking about serious corruption here that in an ordinary time would have been in, you know, would have would have been involved with felon would have been felonies. But yet they are still there. They are more powerful than ever. They were able to, you know, regain their, their seats. In this last election, I think under very strange circumstances. Um, do you go into the business of the numbers of uh, of ballots that are on the books that are from people who had either died or who are no, who are no longer residing in the state? So, people in the state election integrity groups, they get into they get into that because they have to, and that, and that's their their piece of terrain that they can control where I came in. I came in at a national level at the end of the 2020 election. Well, president Trump was still in office. I was brought in to give statistical guidance, just like I do now. Mm -hmm. And it was to, it was to provide material for the lawsuits. So I had, I had context, which of course the courts don't care about that because statistical proof is not hard evidence of a crime. Like you might find on a security camera. But it, it supports, hey, something's not right here. Your blood pressure is 200 over 150. Something's not right here. And that is what my statistics show. So I came in at the national level. And then when the election integrity movement kicked off with a national perspective, I've never really been at the county or state level. That doesn't mean I don't have insight on it. But the people that are working at the counties and at the states, they know very closely. They know their county officials, their elections administrators, their county commissioners. And for me to get involved in it would really only create a, a more difficult path for them. They're going to say, here's a national election denier or one of the more prominent election deniers in the world at this point. And that is something, but I am aware of the New York Citizens Audit for one. I'm aware of all the election integrity movements across the country. And there's a lot of really good ones. You have you have them everywhere. Audit the Vote Hawaii is outstanding. Audit the Vote Pennsylvania is outstanding. All across the, the country, we've got even in Alabama, dark, dark red states. We have people that are doing good, even there in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. You've, you've got some groups there that hosted me in Middlesex County last year. And that was fun. We had about 10 Antifa show up with their masks on and... <laughs> You know, they they took a look at me, decided they didn't want to do anything about it, but, but they're out there. Yeah, the the thugs are the uh, kind of what Lenin called the shock troops are, are brought in occasionally to to deal with the lower side of the scissors. The upper side being the uh, the institutional, um, uh, you know, kleptocracy, I guess you might call it. You know, the oligarchies who are really determined to do whatever they have to do to advance their power. And at this point, it's open, it's out in the open, even more so than in 2020 when we all watched it happen on TV, all the states shutting down. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it, they just did it in broad daylight. And, and I'm talking now about Maricopa County where they literally sent ballots 
in that 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 jammed the machines. I mean that they, they were fitted in such a way that that they shut down machines in only the most Republican of precincts and wards. And in a way, I suppose you could say that Republicans kind of stepped in it with that one because we announced in advance that we would be voting in person. And maybe if we had been a little bit more stealthy about it, we could have pulled it off. I don't know. But but the point is that uh, that was the most open, the most egregious steal of all. Now, do you get into the business that um, Mike Lindell has done such a good job with in terms of looking at the algorithms in the machines? I mean, I know that during the um, the forensic audit in Maricopa County, the the corrupt, really rotten election board there refused to relinquish the passwords to the machines. They couldn't actually go into them. And that the company that runs them, that I'm even afraid to mention by name here, because they sue everybody with, with slap suits, they, they, uh, they would sue, as I say, I mean, they sued anybody who criticized this. Well, so all the machine companies, all election machines, yes, are vulnerable to misuse, to potential hacking, and to manipulation. So as far as my involvement with Cause of America or Mike Lindell, mm -hmm. I am tightly wound with a number of their key personalities. I do a lot of travel, and I regularly present with people who are tight with, with Mike. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm on good terms with Mike as well. And my stance on machines, and from early on, just like you said with Maricopa County, from early on, Maricopa County's officials, their county commissioners, they were the big tell that something was up with the the electronic elections equipment because if they had nothing to hide on that they could have acquitted themselves easily by turning over all electronic election equipment letting people look at it letting cyber experts and forensic experts go through everything see what the deal is reconcile the electronic vote records with hard ballots to reconcile it with the voter registrations and they didn't do that in fact, they did everything they could to prevent them from being turned over. So that is something to me, given the circumstances that, and it's not frivolous, it's something they were subpoenaed for, logs, routers, and other electronic elections equipment. The fact that they resisted that so much is a pretty big tell. Now, what can the machines do? Well, the electronic poll books are a big problem. They can determine on election day who's not voted. It's right here on electronics and not on a, on a binder anymore where you show up at the precinct, sign your name, and go vote. That is by design, that we're hurting people into voting centers and that we're trying to make this as digitized as possible because now we have much more data. And people are now abusing the data and they are using duplicate or tripled, triplicate registrations. They are not cleaning voters off the rolls that have moved or, or died mm -hmm. or moved out to a different precinct. And then you have, of course, completely fictitious voters, which you can find everywhere in, in those six key consensus states, especially. But they are on the march in Texas as well. And there is a lot of election fraud in Texas. Yesterday, Smith County, which is the home county of Tyler, Texas, which is a mid-sized city in East Texas. It's heavily Republican. They showed a sample size of 584 fraudulent ballots that were cast in Smith County. As in, these are absentee ballots that, that don't, on the count, that don't match the hard count of ballots on hand. And that's a small sample size of the county. I'd have to go look at my records to see how many estimated votes I had Smith County, Texas, as being over. In fact, I'm going to do that right now. Right. But you know, it, my understanding, Seth, is that some of the methodologies being used here are so subtle that even most, you know, good conservatives and, and, uh, and good vote uh, integrity groups can't detect it. And that includes things like setting up phony separate accounts online that then suddenly appear, they accept votes, and then they disappear. There's a lot of weird stuff that, that, um, th that's happening. Um, you have this organization, the name escapes me right now, but they have a headquarters in somewhere in upstate New York that has gotten all of it, many counties around the country to sign up for them handling the counting of their votes, and that they are very secretive about how they do this, that the votes go to their center. And then you have this group, ERIC, E-R-I-C, which was contracted 10 years ago, including in some red states like Louisiana, to basically clean the voting rolls. <clears throat> and their record is that they've done absolutely nothing and that the head of their group 
is a radical left winger who was uh, founded funded by George Soros. So, you know, do you have do you know anything about those things? Yeah, Eric is something in Alabama. Alabama just got away from Eric, the electronic voter registration infrastructure. Now yeah. we also have we also have in Texas the state Republican Party is reportedly getting ready to get behind a push to get rid of Eric. Now, will that actually happen legislatively? I don't know, because the Secretary of State of Texas, they, they rotate them out constantly. John B. Scott was the Secretary of State until a couple months ago, and he's gone now. So the Secretary of State in Texas is not an elected position, so there's not any voter accountability there. And now we, you know, we don't really know all of the positions that the current Secretary of State has. All I know is that Harris County, even in the Secretary of State's own audit, Harris County, home to Houston, and also, you, you can look at some of the other counties, Dallas County, Tarrant County, Collin County. They were also audited. Harris County and Dallas County had very poor remarks come in. Now, Tarrant County's got issues, too. There's an elections director there named Hyder Garcia, who I am aware of. I've never spoken about him directly. I don't do a whole lot of personal probing. I do all the top-level 30,000-foot stuff. Well, he is sniffing around and went to the papers to cry about my numbers, even though the Democrats stayed stuck in the 200,000s vote range for four consecutive elections, then completely finished those off, went through the 300,000s and topped Trump, who had a record Republican vote gain in a county that had been Republican since 1968. Mm, now, very suspicious. Right. So all we really need is transparency. We, we don't need really the, the result of a lack of transparency is the wrong people get in office. I mean, look at New York. My number suggests that Lee Zeldin should be the governor of New York today, not yes. Kathy Popol. I think that I saw you write about that, that um, you had some very strange swings in certain counties in upstate New York where the, the vote turnout did not match the number of registered voters. Well, correct. But but it's yeah. not it's not so much about the registered voters. It's the statistics over time, over duration. The statistics provide us a an expectation of output of how many votes should be cast. It's just like if you if you look at baseball, we use the Red Sox, for example. You yeah. know, Ted Williams played from 1939 to 1960. He had 521 home runs. So Ted Williams, probably he probably averaged. He missed four or five seasons solid being at war. But Ted Williams must have averaged 35 home runs a year if he played mm -hmm. a full season. Now, if we have him at 35 a year, we can look at some of his highs. He probably finished in the 40s here and maybe had a season that was cut short in the 20s. Now, if all of a sudden he's got one season that it's 71 home runs, well, what happened here? Now, you can see it in the 90s where you have the steroid era where players are cracking home runs out like, like right. softball leagues. But statistics generally give you an expectation. And if everybody all of a sudden starts hitting 50 and 60 home runs, then you know something is going on. So right. if Joe Biden has 81 million votes, or if even in the 2018 and 2022 midterms, America just started voting all of a sudden and we have record high turnout everywhere, then we should see that everywhere. And still, I can go through the map in 2020 and find places that did not have a spike. Suffolk County in Massachusetts looks normal to every election year. So according mm -hmm. to my model, I flagged that as green. Now, I'm sure that any big city county like that has its inherent issues that are all- well, That's because it's been corrupt for 50 years, but that's putting that Correct. aside. But, but in all the right metros, they corrupted 2020 as well. So Baltimore County in Maryland, Baltimore City in Maryland, and then not Baltimore County, Baltimore City, and then mm -hmm. Suffolk County, Massachusetts, or you can look at Bronx or Manhattan, New York. They look normal compared to every election trend. In fact, Trump trended- New York, or he, he trended Manhattan, Bronx, Queens, heavily in his direction. But you can look at other places like all of a sudden, why is there why is there no motivation for Biden among among rural black voters in Alabama or in Arkansas? But it's really an enthusiastic block for him in Georgia. So these things don't make any sense to me. Right. And it, it does look a little strange when you see, you know, these kind of anomalies. And uh, another factor that, of course, enters into the picture is the, the amount of money that poured in from people like uh, Zuckerberg, who spent, wrote a personal check for $420 million to fund these two turf organizations, which basically spread it around, as they used to say, you know, greased a few palms only in the battleground states, only in Georgia, Arizona, I think in uh, Detroit, 
where where basically people and oh and and miss and and Wisconsin where people were doing activism like you know harvesting ballots and signing people up and setting up tables at fairs and doing the kind of the street work the thing that's amazing to me about that is that there's very few whistleblowers amongst people who were doing this kind of shady work and whether it was it just because i mean there was a one or two that spoke to Dinesh D'Souza in his movie 2000 Mules. But it's amazing how tightly sealed that whole thing is. Why do you think that is? I think that people become too siloed in their understanding of what happened in the 2020 election. It's not just the computers. That's mm -hmm. Some people go in, it's just being the machines. That's, that's part oh, of the problem. But the mechanism, the mechanism of the election of 2020 and other elections is to use various means that are allowed by state law. You can look at the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California. Ballot harvesting is legal. Then you have other states where it's not. So when you do it, you're going to do that at the risk of getting caught. Georgia, Arizona, but then you have compliant, wimpy, useless state legislatures and corrupted courts that refuse to crack the, crack the whip on that. Now, in Florida, ballot harvesting is not only illegal, it's a felony. And there was the creation of an election crimes task force, which threatens to come into those boiler rooms in the event of a close election that might be trying to flip the state. Mm -hmm. So the as far as the you know, why is there not a lot of people that talk about it? There are the Maricopa County has been caught red handed uh, time right. and time again. So I've heard it put recently. The 2020 election was there was a Bigfoot sighting and nobody got it on camera. Well, 2022, that was on camera. Everybody saw oh, yeah. County uh, operating in real time to make sure Carrie Lake didn't win. And in fact, Carrie Lake never even took a single lead. Abraham Hamaday took a lead for a split second before the lead went away. So I think that Carrie Lake was kept below even just to make sure she oh, didn't I think I, I think they had, they had to stop her because if she had won – the whole rotten thing would have been blown open. I mean, th that would have been the beginning. And so they didn't even care. They just did it out in the open. And even with Hamaday, too, he lost by what? Less than 200 votes? Hamaday, less, Hamaday lost by less than 300 votes after a slight adjustment in December. Now, he's recently been out there on record saying that the look at the provisional ballots would, right. have, would have given him the victory. But my numbers for those guys, that whole slate in Arizona was an all-star slate. Oh, it was my, my numbers for those guys suggest that, that, that Hamaday, of course, would have finished first if that were to be the same all the way down. But right. Harry Lake's number margin of victory is about 9.9%. Oh, it's huge. The most conservative estimate. That's more than 200,000 votes over Katie Hobbs. And that's me being very generous towards Katie Hobbs. So Hamaday is, a, is, a, is probably an 11-point winner. And then you have Carrie Lake at 10, you have Fincham and Masters are about four and five points apiece at that rate. Now, Masters, of the four, Masters is the only one that conceded the race, which was completely foolish of him. Right, I agree. Um, and, and I think that Carrie's, um, it, it, that's going to a, a, a an appeals court. Um, I, I kind of think that the judge in the state, Thompson, I think he might have been threatened or something. I mean, I think that, you know, th these people play hardball because that was such an obvious case of fraud. And yet, you know, he he's decided it wasn't. I mean, it just uh, could he be either that corrupt or I think he might have been frightened. But either way, it's now in an appeals court. Where are they now? Do you know? So the the main issue that you're getting at here with Thompson is, is a nationwide epidemic. Judicial corruption has been the foundation of that has been laid for, for decades. We right. really started, started getting into that when politics got very divisive in the nineties, you might remember red state, blue state became a conversation topic around Bush Gore. Exactly. So the, po the political well was poisoned. Politics is supposed to be boring. You had, remember in 1976 it's Gerald Ford versus Jimmy Carter. And they were arguing about inflation. Now we argue about inflation now because inflation is going is getting worse and is, is has potential to get much worse and, and devalue the entire monetary supply. But with with politics in the 70s, it was very boring. Now we have every election is do or die. The country lives and hangs by this special election. And Judge Thompson is was probably put in place by the McCain cartel. I believe he was appointed in 2010 or 2012 by by uh 
by Jan Brewer, who would have been governor then. So Thompson saw the evidence. He looked horrified by Hobbs's defense team. And, of course, the, the late team came up with excellent, absolutely excellent no, it was very little time to present it in a two-day trial. And that's after he kicked away several of the charges except just two. 72, so. 72% of Americans agreed with Kerry Lake that the Maricopa County Elections Board and county commissioners rigged their own election and prevented their own voters from being able to vote freely on election day. So that's where we wind up with you know, well, okay, you acknowledged all this, you saw all this, so why is there not a ruling that provides proper relief? Now, Lake's team requested a, either she be named the victor or she gets a new election. And a lot of that, it's somebody has to be the first person to, to throw the ruling to allow for a, a country like ours to have transparent, free and fair elections that people actually trust. We should be able to do this. You know, we can, children in kindergarten can vote for what's for, what's for snack, on paper and you can go look at the vote and make sure that only eligible kindergartners voted right and, and verify what they want. But somehow the, the nation that, that won two world wars and put somebody on the moon and has cured certain it's diseases and viruses, like we can't figure out how to run an election. All you need is more people to run the election with more transparency. We have 330 million people here. You're trying to tell me that the largest counties need to count votes for seven days, but the smallest ones don't. How about just get a, a how about get a proportional number of people working the elections in a broken down precinct operation? And that's why you have the large voting centers at the in the large counties to make this practically inauditable. Right. And that's been a, re a recent trend as well to centralize the voting centers we should note that it was only a few months ago that France held a national election. It's a country of 50 million people. They had it done within hours of the closing of the polls. No machines, all hand counted. It's uh, you know, it really can be done. And the fact that it's not in this country is, you know, it, it's a, it's obviously a scandal. But it goes to the fact that that we're going to lose our our freedom. We're going to lose our ability to be a self-governing people. I mean, unless unless we solve this. Now, the other, the other leg on the stool, the first one was, of course, the media, the Mockingbird media, which was completely in the bag. Uh, you know, they, they demonized anyone who questioned the election immediately after the election day. They attacked viciously. You can, anybody can read that. It's obvious. The second thing was the judiciary on the state level. Hundreds of cases were brought. The Trump administration brought several. And they were all kept out of the court. And this was used as a vehicle by the, the Biden coup, as I call it, to uh, further try to legitimize their claims by saying that these cases were dismissed because there was no evidence. When, in fact, they never really reached the inside of a courtroom. They were dismissed on technicalities by clerks whose job is to actually try to dismiss cases on technicalities, but they have a little judgment there and they can make judgments and they did so uniformly to stop any of these cases from entering the court. Now, my memory is faulty here. Maybe you might know something about this, Seth, but I, I seem to recall that there was one case that made it to an inside of a courtroom and that was in Wisconsin and the judge, the name escapes me, he heard the evidence. He said this is very convincing that, it, that the state had been stolen and that was a really obvious one, but that he would not rule on it because he did not want to get involved with politics. He did not want to make a ruling that might change the outcome of an election. Do you, am I right about that? Wisconsin had a lot of issues and even some of the sheriffs have been involved. Sheriff Schmeling from Racine County has identified, no doubt, slam dunk election fraud in nursing homes in Racine County. Oh yeah, that was a big one, yeah. Racine County is, is in the far southeast of the state. And that's been that's a, a county that's got at least 10,000 fraudulent votes for Biden, which is half the margin in the state between the two. Then you have Justice Gableman's investigation Indeed. in 2021 that was so thorough that even Robin Voss had to admit with the press in his face that the election in, in Wisconsin was severely compromised and basically stolen. Now, Robin Voss won't do anything either. 
So it doesn't surprise me that people that owe their judicial careers to these political bodies rule in the same vein or they, they comment in the same vein as, you know, as the, as the politicians do. So yes, that, that's a, that's a punt. And it's also a, a head fake to suggest that you have the ability to see that something's not right, but I don't want to be the one to do anything about it. Oh, that to me is one of the most outrageous things because the judiciary is supposed to be independent. They're not supposed to look at the politics. They're supposed to look at the facts. They're supposed to be, you know, if we don't have, that's a, that's a complete compromise of the principle of a, of a balance of powers that they would say, we don't get involved in politics like hell. I mean, that's, that's outrageous that they would take that position. But that is the position they took across the board, including the Supreme Court. They just decided at some level, and I'm not saying it was a conspiracy, that the people sitting around in a room somewhere and talking about it. It was just more of kind of an informal decision that they would not get involved in politics. So, Well, it's not, but it's not politics. When people's voices are disenfranchised, Right. And American citizens can't cast their vote as constitutionally prescribed, then it's it's it goes beyond simple politics. You know, where, where you don't want to get involved in a squabble between two political parties as a as a bill is being debated. It's injustice at that point. So so can you imagine can you imagine if if we had an issue today that was clearly involving discrimination of some sort? Imagine imagine slavery on the table and, and history records that people didn't want to get involved in politics. Well, there are people that didn't want to get involved in politics. In fact, the Democrat Party for many years would run a northern man of southern intentions and they would carry the states in New England and and of course the South and they could win starting with with Martin Van Buren and Andrew Jackson. So then eventually it became something where everybody has to oppose. And now that excuse wouldn't fly that you didn't want to get involved dealing with injustice over politics. So the same thing is true. The voting issue is the civil rights issue of our lifetime. And it's the reason that the hit pieces don't work on people like myself or anybody else who goes around talking about election fraud is because 60 plus percent of the country agrees that the elections are, are toast. If you don't believe me, go ask some people that don't look like your standard Republicans and start talking about that and, and mention Build Back Better. And then if there's a head nod, talk about the election issues. Almost everyone I've talked to agrees with that. So I'm not, I'm not, sure I'm not an extreme majority in this point. Oh, no, no. The whole world is looking at the United States and they see that this regime is illegitimate. And it's kind of uh, of common knowledge. I mean, it's not even, you know, you know, something that's up for grabs. But it's particularly disappointing to me, the judiciary. You bring up the Civil War. It was a judiciary. It was jury nullification, actually, that got rid of the Fugitive Slave Act because they said this is not constitutional. And it was Massachusetts, of all states, the founding of a lot of things, which got rid of slavery because of lawsuits brought by slaves and, and representatives into the state judiciary, and it ended up becoming so costly to keep a slave that they got rid of it, not because the government wanted to. So the judiciary has a very important function here, and it really has fallen down on the job. Now, the third stool, the third leg in the stool was the events of January 6th, the assembly. The assembly was when every four years, the president, they get together and the delegates basically confirm who is going to be the next president of the United States. And every four years, going all the way back to Jefferson, there have been many cases where there has been a contest, including Jefferson's contest himself in 1800, where Jefferson, as the president of the assembly and as the vice president of the United States, declared himself president of the United States. I mean, this is, it's an extraordinary power that, 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 president has, who is also the vice president. And there were seven delegations that were being contested. <clears throat> there were signed letters with at least one representative and one senator jointly signing a letter requesting a hearing on seven states. That was in the process of happening. The media was there filming. Um, those states were the states you've mentioned, Seth, along with New Mexico, apparently. And Arizona was first because alphabetically the states are called. In the middle of the hearing, all of a sudden the guy shows up with the Viking hat and it's over. And everything got shut down. 
Um, and the, 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 if anybody was watching television at that time, and I was, they were rolling out as extraordinary evidence of fraud. And the whole country was watching. And so it was put to a stop by that incursion. Um, of course, then later that night or in the wee hours of the next morning, they reassembled and they just gaveled Biden through. Talk about a coup. No hearings, no media, no one saw it. So what what say you about, about that particular incident? Mike Pence could have, could have, if, if you've read the Brunson Brothers case. Now, yes. I am not somebody who is is bullish that courts are going to see the law and see the facts and do the right ruling. So, yes, is as far out in left field as that case appears to be, it's actually correct because these are people that took their oath and they vowed to support the United States Constitution and defend this country and with it the rights of the people. And when you have the, the dozens of congressmen or senators that hesitated to certify the results or asked for for audits to be done in on the results and to delay they neglected to debate and deliberate on the merits of that subject and in doing so recklessly certified this result now look at the global impact of this person being president oh, and, horrible. and his appointments and the precedent that this is set for us to just go ahead and say that it's real i mean the 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 epitome of what it is to be an American is to not trust the government. Of course. Because that's the foundation of this country. In fact, the, the foundation of our nation is right there, basically where you are in Massachusetts, how far that's yeah. fallen. But that was those were people that, that knew better than to trust the government with everything, including your liberty, including your wealth. And so, yes, Mike Pence should have paused the certification of the electoral college and sent the electors back one of the major sorry i'm in a hotel here um that's okay you get some of the background noise one of the one of the major problems president trump faced in his last days in office was people began to bail on him you could see the entire cabinet you know saying that this is bad this is bad you know we've already done our challenges and one of the things the left did is they rushed right ahead or even the so-called right these republican houses they rushed right ahead and certified their election results and then what they did is they appointed their biden electors and then they slammed it through on january the 6th so they cemented in their goalposts as they moved them and everybody that was part of the legal challenges in 2020 thought before we really saw the extent of the judicial corruption in this country we were like well this is very obvious to everybody that that they you know screwed this election up big time so certainly certainly we're going to get the right outcome and then of course you know here's the the hearings in georgia here's texas versus pennsylvania which was from the attorney general of texas ken paxton which alleged that pennsylvania's miscarriage of the 2020 election led to Texas's 38 electors being disenfranchised. Well, they tossed that case, too, on procedural grounds or on standing. So nobody could get in to the courts, even though you can read some some of the sidebar about Clarence Thomas's wife and her opinions about the election. And you would have had at least one justice that would have tossed the election. That'd be Clarence Thomas. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know where John Roberts is. And I will also say that Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh have been major disappointments on the court, in, in my opinion. No, and, and Neil Gorsuch has been been hit or miss, but you know he's. But on that one, they completely flat. They completely fell down. Nobody wanted to hear that case, and that was such an obvious one, with amicus briefs from five other states. They were simply saying that this state of Pennsylvania had violated the law by allowing their uh, their governor and their secretary, their attorney general, to make laws and put the state put the whole country in jeopardy. By, by putting in place a fraudulent system. And, you know, to me, that, that, that I mean, the fact they wouldn't even hear that is, is uh, it just shows how deep the corruption goes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not a single issue, just like the elections. It's not just machines. It's not oh, just- Oh, it's a very complex issue. You're, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts to this and it all kind of fell in place. I mean, there's a new book out by Dr. Alexander um, that uh, he talks about, he was on the uh, COVID task force. And uh, he says that uh, 
you know, Fauci and Burks, they, they trusted him mainly because he was black and because they had, had like a, an Indian accent. And so they thought, oh, he must be one of us, a Trump hater. So they kind of let their hair down around him and talked about how they were trying to sabotage Trump by using the COVID virus. I mean, can you imagine how despicable that is? They didn't care that people might be dying from a virus and the country's locked down. They wanted to prolong that because they thought it would hurt Trump. So there were so many moving parts. We didn't even talk about the Hunter Biden laptop and the fact that 55 intelligence officers, including a former CIA director, lied and signed a document saying that this had been a Russian plant. The New York Times eventually admitted it a year later. It's too late. But uh, it's just uh, it just has such a, a coordinated look to it. I mean, I think that it has everything to do with this kind of world order movement. I don't want to put on a tin hat right now. So let's just say that, you know, I think the same thing happened in, in, in recently in Brazil with Bolsonaro. You know, all electronic machines, all voting a certain way. You know, in some cases, he was getting more than 100 percent, the other guy, 100 percent of the vote. It just didn't look right. And I think that it's going on all over the world right now. The whole world is upside down. Every coalition, just about every alliance that's out there, the way that people goad people into alliances and wars is really the same as it's been for more than 100 years. You could see that with the I was on Bannon's war room today and, we, and he mentioned that a lot of what's going on in Europe today resembles the beginning of the Great War that happened in 1912, 13, 14. Yes. And, you know, the, with the potential for involvement and engagement. Now we have a nuclear conflict in other nations. Yeah, except now they they don't they seem to be planning for a nuclear confrontation. I mean, the, the the leadership is really even more demonic than it was then, in terms of the the potential to really destroy half the world in order to achieve their 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 bizarre and hateful agenda of of world power. I mean, it's uh, you know, it, it's really kind of overwhelming. But since we are reaching toward the end of the program, Seth, on all of this unhappy information. I know that uh, we, we need to talk about what can we do positively as citizens to, because you are out there doing a lot of very important work here and other people can contribute in their own way. What, what, what do you see that's good? What, what can we do, do positively? One bright light, frankly, I think was the election in Virginia where Glenn Youngkin, who was a million, multimillionaire, and we need a few more of those, fielded a team of thousands of people who volunteered at the polls, who volunteered in the counting rooms, who showed up. These are retired people, teenagers, students, people from all walks of life, and that the Republican National Committee put money behind it. They knew damn well what had happened. And he won. Probably the cleanest election in that state since Jefferson. And I'm not even sure that one was so clean. So what can we do, Captain Keschel? People have to get involved in every corner of the country. Yeah. And that and for my for my field of fire, which is elections, right. I've set up something called four for the core. And that is to address that is to address four issues of the ten points of true election integrity that can be, be handled potentially, depending on the state at the county level. And that would have to do with voter registrations, the abandonment of electronic voting systems security getting rid of drop boxes mm -hmm. and finally the push to provide more transparency whether that's a small county agreeing within the confines of the law to hold its vote counts back until the larger counties report for a change can you imagine oh, if, yeah. if 66 counties in pennsylvania waited out philadelphia and every time they won and philadelphia lost what the what the uproar would be and those are the four points I think that activists can push at their county level. And we're getting some feedback, whether that is a confirmation of how hardened people are to putting in election integrity measures or even positive feedback. And that would be fourforthecore.com, F-O-U-R-F-O-R, thecore.com. And, and the instructions are there for people to sign up. We have about a fifth of the country in terms of counties committed for 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 the court and provide us information for phase one phase one is simply information gathering and we'll be able to determine from what comes in 
what can be acted upon, what is actionable for phase two, which would be sending experts to discuss voter registration databases or perhaps issues with electronic voting systems. Okay. All right. Listen, Captain Seth Cashel, thank God you're out there doing what you're doing. And I think that everybody can play their role, however it is, within their own capacity to try to preserve freedom in this country. And the most basic and fundamental element of that is to make sure that we have a free election, that we preserve the sacred principle of one man, one vote. So, uh, Seth, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Let's stay in touch. All right. Appreciate you, Charles. Thanks for your show. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. So Seth Keschel is is with us up there. Thank you very much. Um, I shall return, God willing, tomorrow, 3 p.m. The program is Monday through Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, I am not sponsored, so I basically am sponsored by myself. My books, my books, my books. They're available at Amazon Books. Um you just put my name in the server, Charles Moskowitz. That's like Moscow with a wits. And you will see about 20 books come up. My most recent book being The Populist, the Populist Wave. Um, let me see if I can just hold that up briefly to, to the camera. And um, other books include The Biden Coup and a, and a bunch of others. Right now I'm actually writing a book about Judaism, which is interesting. Um, and uh, so, you know, check them out. They're there or they're available as um, soft covers, hard covers in some cases, ebooks. And uh, and please uh, sign up for the program at Rumble. I would really, really appreciate it. Rumble is the still the flagship station. Um, I'm expanding the footprint all the time in terms of getting on, figuring out technically how to sign up new streams, especially since I was kicked off of YouTube for discussing issues like I just did with Seth Keschel. And I don't want to go back on YouTube for that reason. I just, I don't want to worry about censorship. You know, I'm a former radio talk show host. I understand what censorship is. And I know the difference between censorship and um, community standards, which I observe. And uh, what we're dealing right now with in this country is political censorship, pure and simple. And uh, I wish that there were more people on the left who were with me. I keep hearing them take pot shots at at uh, Elon Musk. And, and in fact, today I heard Jim Brody over at um, WGBH in Boston refer to Elon Musk as right wing. Really? Right wing because of why? One reason only. That is that he's ending censorship at Twitter. That makes him right wing. And I suppose he's right. That does make him right wing because the left wants to, is authoritarian and they want to clamp down on freedom of speech and specifically freedom in general. So um, on that note, I want to thank you for joining me. I want to again thank Seth Keschel, Captain Keschel. You can check him out on, on um, Telegram. I think he's got a website, uh, captainkeschel.com. And uh, I I shall return uh, tomorrow. I've got two guests tomorrow, so you might want to check that out. Uh, Charles Moskowitz, please check out my books and check out my Rumble page. Thank you for joining me, everyone. God bless you all. God bless America.